We respectfully acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we work and learn, and pay respect to the First Nations peoples and their elders past, present, and future. We're recording on Gadigal land. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. Hey, welcome to episode 4 of Rewind's look back at the 1990 release of Archie Roach's incredible debut album Charcoal Lane. I'm Steve Bell. We're a fair way into this amazing story, so we highly recommend heading back to the start if you haven't already checked out the first three episodes. She comes here every day this little lady with hair of grey And she just smiles and shuffles on her way Through these hospital corridors She walks along these lonely floors To a bed where an old man used to lay and an old man used to say I'm in the summer of my life I've seen the good times, I've seen the strife I've just been under the surgeon's knife Please don't cry, my darling wife We've covered the birth of Charcoal Lane now and seen how many of the songs stemmed from Archie Roach's trauma at being wrenched from his family at just two years old. How Archie not only survived the ensuing downward spiral that threatened to engulf his life, but triumphed over the adversity, first health-wise and then with his amazing music. How his musical journey was fast-tracked by Paul Kelly and Steve Connolly, and then his many friends and fans in the Mushroom family. All the goals Archie kicked were 100% his, It was his beautiful song, sung in his impossibly soulful voice. But he had some solid support behind him in those early days, not forgetting, of course, his bedrock, the late and much-missed Ruby Hunter. Charcoal Lane eventually came out on Aurora Records, the Mushroom Records offshoot, on the 24th of May 1990, just a few months into the 90s and four or five weeks after the album was recorded. On the day of its release, the number one album in Australia was Michael Bolton's Soul Provider, which had been alternating at top spot with Paula Abdul's debut album, Forever Your Girl, having before that saved us from a five-week stretch at the top by Millie Vanilli. Over on the singles chart, Madonna was in the middle of a five-week stretch at number one, teaching us all how to vogue, about to be dethroned by hearts, all I want to do is make love to you. Heady times in the pop realms. Charcoal Lane came out to amazing reviews around Australia. The Age called it powerful, emotional and ultimately triumphant. The Adelaide Advertiser gushed that Archie Roach is the most important Australian songwriter of our era. HQ magazine wrote that Archie Roach is easing the pain of his people with songs that will break your heart. Sale-wise, it was a slow burn start, as we heard last episode, but it's an album not of its time, and one that's kept resonating through the ages, even though it never climbed above number 86 on the Australian album chart, and even that was a year after its release. Eleanor Mackay was overseeing Chuck Lane's publicity as Mushroom's alternative national promotions manager, and she remembers the media being largely receptive to the album. Um, at press, it was an easy sell, yeah. I mean, the hardest thing was getting Archie to do interviews, because if you've interviewed Archie, you will know he's not... I mean, he is a hundred times better now than he used to be, but he just did not want to talk to people about, you know, he just didn't get why anyone would want to talk to him. Um, But no, press loved the record, you know, like um, not so much, you know, we we didn't really get the kind of run in the Herald Sun or something, but everyone else was really receptive to it. So, you know, and the thing back then is, you know, there was a lot more media, there was a lot more press. So 
you know, even within the Herald Sun, you might not get the big sort of pop thing, but you could still get a really good story about it. So yeah, press was never a problem with Archie. Um, and, and the record was really, like you said, it didn't sell initially, um, but it was really critically acclaimed. And um, the, the thing that ended up happening with Archie was that he sold very steadily. So it took a long time for Charcoal Lane to go gold. And I remember, you know, I remember when we had the gold record presentation and, you know, it has to have been six or seven years after the record was out. Um, and, you know, I remember like Stevie Conley had actually died by that point. So, he, you know, his mum and dad came and we presented his gold record to them. Like that's how long it took. But he just would keep selling. And, and because he wasn't, um, you know, super fast on, you know, on making his records, we used to sort of laugh and say he was actually one of the, you know, few fully recouped artists on the label because, you know, he would take him, a long time to recoup, but it would also take him a long time to make another record. So he'd sort of get fully recouped and then go, oh, I'll better make another one now. Now, I remember the first time I encountered Archie Roach. It was around the time of Charcoal Lane's release, either just before or just after, and he was opening for weddings, parties, anything at a venue in Fitzroy, which I forgot the name of a few thousand beers ago, but I can still see the layout of in my mind just as I can still feel the visceral reaction to seeing Archie Roach in the flesh for the first time, arriving in my life as he did, fully formed, singing songs that were so powerful and eloquent, but telling stories that were jarring and foreign. Some of them were set in the surrounding streets where I was always out seeing bands, only a stone's throw from the pubs I was frequenting, but they might as well have been set in another galaxy, missives from another world. But for me... As with so many others, it was took the children away that proved the knockout punch. There was so much beauty behind the obvious pain, but also so much mystery, so many questions. Why would that happen? Who would do that? Because back then, Australia was yet to talk about the stolen generations. At all. I didn't know it was a thing, and finding out about the whole thing seemed so wrong, but that's how my awareness of the wrong started. As Paul Kelly explains, as he toured the country with Archie following the release of Charcoal Lane, this off-putting discovery was taking place throughout every room they played in the country, night after night after night. I remember, you know, very well because we went on tour after the record came out, um, and uh, Archie and I together, and um, Everywhere we went, if we were going onto radio stations or talking to to press, uh, over and over again, people said, "I oh, I didn't realise. We didn't realise this had happened. Um, that um, you know, so many Aboriginal kids got, got taken from their parents." And it's a story that echoes Archie's own story because he didn't realise himself. You know, he, he was taken away, and he he didn't realise that so many others had been until he. Till he found out as, as he grew older, as a young man. Well, I think that was had a, a big impact. Um, and the song, you know, it's just the songs were really strong. They were direct. They were uh, telling stories. The thing that really struck me about Archie's songwriting was that um, they were all love songs and then they were all very political as well not many people can sort of combine that i mean we tend to think of uh, you know oh that's a political song or that's a protest song or and this is a love song but um archie just archie just put them it was, it was all there all, every song is like that they're, they're love songs to family love songs to country love songs between um parents and children um, love songs between men and women um, but they're, they're all all through those love songs is the, uh, the story and the story of the country and the story of the situations and circumstances that Archie and many others found themselves in. I think that was that was the great um, punch of the record for me that 
these that were that were soul songs, but they were love songs, also political. Very rare combination. You wrote in um, How to Make Gravy that you watched that it was quite hard on Archie, all that pressure and not pressure, the, I guess the fame and spotlight suddenly being on him, interviews and what have you, that was quite difficult for him. I noticed that. And uh, I think Archie has, you know, has also spoken about that. It, it, it was. It, it's um, especially um, telling uh, his story over and over again, which is a story of, you know, full of pain and struggle. Um, it's so I could see that taking its, taking its toll on him as he, as he would do interview after interview. I mean, promo at the best of times is a struggle, you know, having to sort of talk and say the same thing over and over again. But in, in Archie's case, it, it, he, it was something that was, was raw and each time he spoke about it, it it brought up brought up those emotions and that pain again um so uh yeah i could see see that was hard and also with you know with increasing um you know becoming more well known and more famous um the you know demands from demands from everywhere that are you know uh, people in his own community sort of expecting things from him and um, all, all, all that kind of all that kind of pressure. Archie himself admits freely that he found it really difficult adjusting to the spotlight that came with his newfound public profile and that just as hard as the scrutiny itself could be the expectation of how often he had to bare his soul to strangers. Yeah, it was. I, I, it's not me, I suppose. That's part of what, what it was about, uh. And uh, yeah, all the all the attention in that uh, I didn't I didn't welcome at all. And the interviews we we did. I remember we went and played it up in Sydney at DY, but doing a show, uh, acoustic shows called Louder Than Hell. And the idea behind that was that the acoustic music can be as loud as as, as rock and roll and, and, and metal music. Silly idea, really. <laughs> but um, but I had nine interviews that day. Before nine interviews, and uh, up in Sydney, and I just crashed. Where we were staying after the interviews, I just went back to the hotel and just crashed. Went to sleep, and I get a phone call. And I said, Archie. I said, Yeah, it's me. He said, uh, Well. You should have been on stage, you know, 10 minutes ago. What? So I had to get a, quickly get in a taxi, the guitar packed, made sure I had everything, and, and go to DY, which is one of the beaches you know, over there, beach suburb of Sydney. And uh, got it. But, but yeah, I, I just I, I just couldn't, you know, the, the attention, I just, it was hard at first, you know, because I was usually a quiet, shy person. You know, and, and people were asking all these sorts of questions, and for a while there, it just uh, then I said, I really don't want to do this anymore. But yeah, I had to, I had to realise, yeah, I had to have a different, different, different way of thinking. I had to think, why am I doing this in the first place? And the reason that I'm doing this, you know, why I do this is because I love, I love music, and I love to play, and sing songs. And, uh, so once I realised that, uh, I could deal with everything else, yeah. eventually, yeah. On the live front, Archie was working hard, and his new agent at Premier, Gerard Shalaki, who was booking his shows and probably seeing him as often as anybody, remembers the singer always getting immediate and intense reactions. He'd perform and people, you know, you have that silence where, you know, people because Archie was such a quiet performer, you know, he'd take the audience down to the level that he was performing at on stage. And it was, you know, you might, you know, as you know, you walk into a concert hall or a pub or whatever, and you work, you, know, you see a band playing and it's a bit rowdy. You can hear the crowd talking, glasses clinking and whatnot. Archie would just start playing and suddenly people would stop talking. And then, you know, inevitably you hear a pin drop and, um, and there he is just playing that ridiculous repertoire of his. 
uh, it was just amazing. It was always amazing. And also, you know, he's got Ruby with him as well with that beautiful smile on stage. And, and people just gravitate to that kind of thing because something that real is very, very, I think, rare and unusual. But he always got the job done and he always, you know, had his own way. And I think that shyness was certainly a very endearing facet of what he was doing. And people really, really took to him and with a great amount of warmth and, and courage. And, and it's that sort of thing that I'm sure encouraged him to keep going on as he did. And he's made, made so many albums now and uh, they're all strong records too, all of them. The latest one in particular, and uh, yeah, he's 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 one of our great artists in our country. He's he's extraordinary. Also, around this time, amongst the touring for Charcoal Lane, Paul and Archie wrote a song together, "Rally Around the Drum," about Archie's real life stint as a tent boxer in Country Victoria. Paul recorded a version with the Messengers that came out as the B side of their '92 single "When I First Met Your Ma," and also appeared on Hidden Things the semi-compilation album from that same year, which the single was lifted from. Paul recorded it again on his 2005 Bluegrass album with the Stormwater Boys, Foggy Highway, and then, finally, in 2020, Paul and Archie recorded a version together. Before me, I'm a tent boxing man. Like our daddy before us, traveling all around Gippsland. I woke up one cold morning, many miles from Fitzroy, and slowly it came dawning. By Billy Deach, I was employed. Rally round the drum, boys. Rally round the drum. Every day and every night, boys. Rally round the drum. Hoisting ten fall and tarpaulin Billy says now beat the drum Rings out across the showground And all the people come Then Billy starts calling Step right up, step right up, step right up One and all is there anybody game here to take on Keith Snowball? Rally around the drum, boys. Rally around the drum. Is there anybody game here? Rally around the drum. Yeah, that was our, we, we were that on that first tour after Chuckle Lane. Um, we were in a hotel room in Perth and just sitting around talking with the guitars and he started talking about his temp boxing days and about his, how his father had been a temp boxer called Snowball. So Archie, when he started boxing, they called him Kid Snowball. And his brother had been a boxer too. He started talking about Billy Leach and running the um, tent boxing shows out in Gippsland and how uh, Billy would come to the pubs in Fitzroy and recruit the young fighters, you know, buy, buy a few jugs of beer and uh, by the end of the night he'd have, you know, a few more um, fighters to, uh, to uh, head, off, head, off into the, head off into the country. That's a beautiful song. I love it. Yeah, I was, it was really 
you know, because we wrote it and then um, he didn't do it and I didn't do it for a while, but we, uh, I ended up doing it on a, a bluegrass record that I did in 2005, I think. Um, and uh, it was so great to do it with Archie again, you know, just around a couple of years ago with, um, with Paul Grabowski and his band and uh, doing it as a, as a duet. Um, so I'm really glad we, we, we got that one. We got that one done together. That partial version of Rally Around the Drum that you heard Paul and Archie doing together before is taken from Archie's album Tell Me Why, the companion piece to his incredible 2019 autobiography of the same name, which we've mentioned already. Grab that to check the full version of their song, it's stunning. Now even later in 1990, Archie was invited by the National Youth Broadcaster Triple J, although they probably weren't quite fully national yet then, to do a live at the wireless performance, so he and Ruby went in and together performed a handful of songs from Charcoal Lane, including this beautiful joint rendition of the Ruby Pen Down City Streets. Down City Streets, I'm This stage, everything's been going swimmingly for Archie since Charcoal Lane came out in May 1990. He's gaining plenty of organic traction and getting used to the media and the spotlight, but things went to a whole new level in March 1991 when Archie attended the ARIA Award Ceremony at the Darling Harbour Convention Centre in Sydney. Archie explains that entering the awards proved kind of awkward, but leaving the event clutching two pointy ARIAs one for Best Indigenous Release and one for Best New Talent, wasn't so much of a problem. Yeah, all the red carpet and that. And he's, you know, we got the, all these young fellows outside the hotel where we were staying and said, I was thinking, you know, he's going to the areas. Yeah. He said, oh, we'll drive us down there for, for so much, you know. And they had this little thing going up there. Yeah, it's cool. So we got in the car with, with these young fellows and drove us down. Yeah, when you go there, you're sort of driving up slowly and you can see people getting out of cars and cameras just, you know, flash, flashes going everywhere and people screaming their heads off or, for, you know, um, Farnham or Jimmy Barnes or whoever else was there at the time. Uh, I mean, Bobby Goldoff being there, Bobby Goldoff. And, uh, so everybody was just going crazy. And me, <laughs> oh, this is funny. Me, me and Ruby got out. Yeah, our, our, our car pulled up and everybody going, hey, because they couldn't see inside the car at first. They can hear all this screaming. And uh, when me and Ruby got out, it just went really quiet. <laughs> Sorry. I got to laugh about it sometimes. It just went really quiet and people just like, 
thinking, who are these people? Yeah, these two Aboriginal people walking on the red carpet. And uh, not many cameras clicking or anything, a few. And so me and Ruby started walking. We weren't looking at anybody, had our heads down. And I could hear Ruby saying, just keep walking, just keep walking, don't look at anybody. <laughs> and, uh, so we did. And, uh, but it was a different story after it, you know, winning the, uh, the uh, Best Indigenous Album and uh, Best New Talent, which I didn't expect. But yeah, so that's what it did. So yeah, I, I couldn't get out of the place then. Everybody wanted to talk to me. Yeah, and cameras, you know, yeah, not cameras, and yeah, going off and flashes here and there. Artie, Artie, turn around here, Artie. Yeah. Artie, look over here, look over here. And I go, what's going on? His father didn't even want to know us when we walked in. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Is it important that recognition of winning the awards and stuff? Yeah, it is. It's, uh, it's um, you know, it's it's important to have that recognition. That people, people, you know, uh, are you awarding you with something or or, or, or realizing that, you know, that uh, because the work you've done and and, and, and uh, you know the songs you've written and sung and. Uh, it's important. It's a part of a part of this this bigger bigger picture. This bigger you know, Australian music scene. I think because of that, you know, you realise you realise that you know you actually have been accepted as as, as a musician and as part of you know belonging to the Australian music uh, scene. And, and it was important to, to get that recognition and what recognition I've had since then. Yeah. And then, a little while later in 1991, Archie received an even more momentous accolade when Took the Children Away won him the Human Rights Achievement Award, the first ever time that the prestigious honour had been granted to a song or a songwriter. Look, I didn't know what was going on. The day that happened, I just, you know, said, yeah, my manager back then, you know, said, oh, we're going down to the, yeah, down to the, uh, wherever we had it in Sydney, down near the harbour. And uh, that's where Dr. Dr. Fred Hollows was presented with the, the Human Rights uh, Medal and for the work that he'd done through the years. And then they start, you know, they start talking about this, this, this fellow, this you know, songwriter, singer-songwriter who'd written a song about children being taken away, and I was going, that sounds like me. I said, we'd like to present him with, with the very first time in the inaugural uh, Songwriters uh, Award for, for, for uh, Human Rights, yeah. It took the children away. So, yeah, it was pretty amazing. His booking agent, Gerard, wasn't surprised in the slightest that Archie had begun racking up such incredible accolades. Just to see the whole thing building over the years, it's beautiful recognition that he has. And, um, uh, and and he's just taking it all in his stride. And and it's just wonderful. It's just wonderful. He's he's a proper, he's the real deal. He's, he's one of our great singer-songwriters in our country. And, you know, all these adulations and plaudits are completely and thoroughly deserved. But more importantly than awards, the slow but steady success of Chuck O'Lane started to resonate through Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities. These days, Goombagya singer-songwriter Emma Donovan is a beloved artist in her own right, having released a succession of acclaimed albums fronting her band The Putbacks, but she goes way, way back with Archie Roach. Emma was born into pretty much a musical dynasty. Her family's band, The Donovans, revered in country circles, and although she first played alongside Archie in the 2000s as a member of the Black Armband Enterprise, which Archie and Ruby had driven, she'd started singing in the Donovans when she was just seven years old, so her memories of Archie and Ruby 
Go right back to the charcoal lane days. Yeah, I reckon I was probably one of the youngest members at the time um, of, of, of the Black Arm Band when I, when I kind of, you know, started singing alongside them. Um, when I actually, like, seen, like, heard gigs and my family would take them to, like, community, us to community gigs where they'd be, I was a lot younger, yeah, like, like a little, little schoolgirl, yeah. Well, I'm just trying to think the time um, there was a gig, like, probably like NADOC or survival gigs, you know. Um, you'd know that Uncle Arch and Honey Rube would be billed. Um, they, I was yawning about it the other day. There was like, um, you know, the survival gig that used to happen out at La Perouse and Honey, um, you know, like they'd always be headlining, you know, they're more coloured stone or someone. And um, you'd be swimming all day, you know, like down at the Yarra, at Yarra Bay there and then you'd come back for the concerts. And I'm, I must have been um, probably, yeah, early years of um, school. But, yeah, and always excited because you, you knew you'd, see them um and i got this really cute picture one year of a nadoc event when nan took me to see Aunty Ruben and uncle arch at um, a uni nadoc gig and i um uh, my nan brought Aunty rube's cd for me emma was also exposed to charcoal lane songs early in life when family members began adding them to their country repertoires yeah now my uncles knew all of uncle archie's wrote um uncle archie's album you know like charcoal lane even though i think that was the only time they would have went outside the country the proper you know like old country songs um they'd they'd skip from that straight to um i remember learning the chords you know to um native born you know and um like my uncles would strum it yeah so these songs have been around your life since you were tiny. That's incredible. Yeah, and I think I think the beautiful thing is is um everyone's adopted Uncle Arch and Annie Annie Rube like you know I feel like they speak a lot to lots of Aboriginal Torres Strait Island families. You know they've been in our lives for such a long time, and like their songs just yeah, it's like that you know. Um, feeling you get when you just, you know, you recognise your family, you know. Yeah, see, like seeing them, especially Annie Rube for me, like when I first heard her, um, like seeing her, it was just a vision thing. Like I, you know, um, always there, t- you know, taping my rage or taping little, you know, v- VHS recordings of um, video hits or something, but then Annie Rube would be there. She'd be like the first or only like Aboriginal woman I'd, would have seen, you know, on TV, singing. <laughs> so did that was that inspirational for you in kicking off your own sort of path? I think later, like I was really young when I first seen her, um, but later on down the track, like now, like even now more so, yeah, just really love her, her songs, everything, all her messages. Yeah, she was always inspiring me. Emma believes that bringing the issues faced by Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people into the spotlight, both historical and present-day matters, such as Archie did with Charcoal Lane and so many other First Nation artists have done before and after him, is an important source of strength for the larger community. I think that's a beautiful thing now about, you know, the representation of, like, Aboriginal music, you know, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander music is that in our communities there's not this recognition or justice, um, but there's this amazing collection of lots of tunes, you know, like, um, yeah, like Uncle Archie's song, Took the Children Away, um, and it's a big journey, that song, you know, from the time. I know he feels a lot of, I shouldn't speak on behalf of him, but I know that he feels a lot of healing from the first time he wrote it, you know, I mean, there's songs where that have that long journey and that long time and, um, you know, they're over 30, 40 years old. Like some of them are still relevant, you know, like um, even Uncle Shane's song from Goanna, like coming in the 30 or 40 years now for Solid Rock. I like these iconic songs. Um, But, yeah, no, they're so important and, yeah, there's Big Mob now carrying that torch and, you know, finding their way after these artists have, like, you know, parved that way and carved out this picture of, you know, what um, 
some of the experiences that mob have, you know, in their songs. But no, it's, it's really important. And that's what keeps us together and keeps us strong. Yorta Yorta MC Briggs, who we heard from in episode two, also believes that the way Chaco Lane introduced so many aspects of the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander experience and ongoing struggle to wider society, especially the tale of the stolen generations exposed in Took the Children Away, can ultimately only be a good thing. And I think that's like part of it as well as like it's underappreciated because people don't know the history, yeah? So like, and it's not to say like, you know, that it's it's not worthy or people are stupid or nothing like that. It's just like when you know the history and you understand, like even if you've got just a sliver or or you just know there was a stolen generation and you go in with that little bit of knowledge and you hear a song like that, that's going to hit you way harder than just thinking like this is a one-off story about this one guy. You know what I mean? And I think like that's where like a lot of people um you know miss a miss a point because I've you know I've seen Archie play so many times and I've seen so many people like feeling that moment in that song you know what I mean and like like just you can see like how much it resonates with with the audience and so many followers who went through that you know what I mean so it's like you know, Archie has this song that tells his story and he's telling the story of a lot of other followers as well. And as part of their healing is knowing that their story is being validated and being acknowledged um, through Archie. So there's so much power in that. You know what I mean? There's, and there's so much life to that that it'll live forever. Like, he's having a conversation with you. Like, that's, you know, that's his way. It's, it's, a, it's a, should you want to list, listen and should you want to take the time, you know, he's not, a, he's not forcing you to be open. He's not, you know, making you do anything. He's just inviting you to a conversation. You know what I mean? Like, and that's, I think that's what rings um, true to that kind of feeling around, um, you know, that Melbourne Fitzroy kind of vibe (laughs) back then. You know what I mean? Like, you just, where you, you know, wind up at a pub and someone just starts, you know, reeling off a, a yarn you know what I mean it's like it's it's a, it's a very honest and warm kind of like because like you know it's it's a pretty harrowing journey man mm. you know but it's a it's it's a really it's still a very warm conversation you know he's just telling you what happened Vicar and Linda Ball the much-loved singers who, as we've heard, first met Archie singing some backing vocals on the Charcoal Lane album and whose paths have crossed with him musically many times over the ensuing decades are also effusive about the ongoing power of Charcoal Lane. My girls are listening to it. They know, they know it too, you know, 23 and 16. They, they should teach the history of schools. Just shouldn't be up to Archie to teach it all to us, it's not fair, you know, we should know already. Well, that's the great thing about songs, isn't it? It's like when you get songwriters like Arch and, and you know, telling... Her comedy. ...using their songwriting for things like that, you know, talking about their history and what happened. It's so important and it's important that we keep playing those songs and, and kids know and they should know this history, they should be learning it in school, you know. Mm. It's just, it's pathetic. It's, you know, everyone should know. Everyone should be played that record. Listen to this. Listen to this singer. This is how someone sings really honestly. That's what I like about Archie singing. Very soulful, yeah, soulful and political at the same time. I don't know how he does that, but he he does. He does it particularly well. Mm. 
know, hits the nail on the head because he lived it. He's not faking it. We live in the neighbourhood too, so, you know, the places that he talks about in his songs, you just walk past, so it's kind of good to walk past with the girl, my kids or friends and go, you know, that's the pub that Arch talks about in the song. There's Charcoal Lane. You know, this is this is where uh, they all met and would come to find their lost history. It seemed to be a bit of a, a, a spot at the end of my street, Napier Street, Fitzroy, where if you wanted to find somebody, and you, I read about this in Jack Charles' book too, you go down there. And and you and you hit the the pubs and, and all the streets in the corner around the corners and you, they all they all knew exactly what was going on you know who you, what your history was who your family was it's the only way if you were lost to go there to find out what was going on I find that really fascinating and I feel it like when you walk around the street the Fitzroy. Soon the charcoal lane songs were also resonating among international artists who had come into Archie's orbit and not just the ones he'd share a stage with. There's a great anecdote in Tell Me Why about hanging out for a couple of days in Melbourne with Paul Simon when the US legend was in town touring his Graceland opus and reach out to Archie after he'd fallen in love with Charcoal Lane. His booking agent Gerard remembers this sort of connection being a pretty regular occurrence. A lot of those sort of artists, they'll come over here and... and they won't be that familiar with what's happening. Perhaps it's a little bit different these days with what occurs with the internet and and that sort of thing. But you know, they they, they trust you as a promoter to sort of suggest some artists and, and and invariably, you know, if it was the correct musical pairing, you put Archie forward and people, yeah, musicians know what what's going on. It's very very hard for them to you know, to, to, to to sort of sway them in any other way and. They understand something that's completely real and, and, and bona fide. And, and with Archie, that was the case always. And they love that stuff. And he did that American tour, did shows with Joan Armour Trading and a bunch of other people as well, I think. And, uh, yeah, it was always a very, very positive experience. Gerard also reminds us that the emotional heft of Charcoal Lane comes from the album in its entirety and that Archie can be as plaintively powerful recounting other people's stories as he is his own. It's more about the subject matter and the storytelling on that record where it's it's such an honest record. It's an incredibly honest record and there's no holds barred. The lyrics on that record really paint a picture of what was going on and how Archie had lived his life and what he encountered and how he overcame a lot of stuff that came his way. Um, uh, and it's just written in such a beautiful fashion. It's It's something you never tire listening to. Uh, it, it goes on from what, how he lived his life to obviously what happened to him early in his life with Took the Children Away. But then you also have that extraordinary song, Manyana, which is about Russell Savage. And um, the way he tells Russell's story and Russell's mother's story in that song, that song goes for eight minutes. And all you got is Archie singing. You got Stevie on electric guitar and... Um, Looking at the credits earlier on today, just to remind myself, Andrew Duffield playing keyboards, and that's that's one of the greatest songs I've ever heard, and and it's just probably one of the saddest songs I've ever heard. I mean, often you hear people talking about sad songs and this and that, and it's sort of like a bit cheesy perhaps, but there are certain people that can write songs of that nature, Towns Van Zant certainly being one, and that song, that song, Manyana, is just mind-blowing it's just wonderful and yeah and so there you have it with that record and, and you're hearing songs like that and, and and watching Archie perform when he performed it was very soulful he always had Ruby with him um David Arden on guitar with him and they 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 were amazing and 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 people just got to hear about this guy it was a word of mouth thing and of course, once you see Archie perform, you never forget it. It's seared in your brain. And, yeah, I guess uh, it just all went in a beautiful path from there. A beautiful path indeed. We'll leave episode four of the Charcoal Lane story there. Please join us for the final episode where we look at the eventual US release, 
the curation of the album's legacy, and tie up our discussion of this incredible collection's ongoing importance. Here's the song that Gerard was just waxing lyrical about, the beautiful Manyana. Times were hard in old Swan Hill And her circumstances got harder still The only thing this woman ever knew was pain It seemed she'd never know sweet happiness again Kicked around Treated bad It's not right for one so young To be so sad A curry child should not have Had this cross to bear It makes me wonder If anybody really cares Trouble woman is your name Through no fault of yours it seemed you always got the blame And an old man's voice calls from afar Who will shed a tear Fond memories of Mulami, the only happy times her family had seen. Wishing that those happy times would never end. With Uncle John, who at the time was their best friend But this young girl just couldn't win She got into trouble and an eloquent Had a lovely child way down in old Fitzroy And the welfare came and took her baby boy Baby Russell was his name They took him from her arms and made her feel ashamed Took him away to America Who will shed a tear for Manila? They changed his name And changed his home While he was growing up He always felt alone And through the years His history remained untold He questioned why So they kicked him out At twelve years old He was on the streets for many years No one ever knew his pain or saw his tears He took to using drugs and booze just to escape And then one night they arrested him for murder and rape Troubled woman, troubled man Doesn't anybody out there give a damn 
And an old man's voice calls from afar Who will shed a tear for my love Is one true mother who'd searched in vain For her son she'd never thought she'd see again She received a phone call from Florida They found her son and more bad news for Manana Hello Russell This is your mother calling Please forgive me, I can't stop the tears from falling You come from this land and sun above And always remember the strength of your mother's love They took you there When you were five Now you're in some jail Trying to survive And if the truth be known When all have testified Another crime committed here Was genocide Trouble woman is your name Through no fault of yours it seemed you always got the blame And an old man's voice calls from afar Who will shed a tear Thanks for making it this far in both this episode and the season. Please stick with us for the finale to this incredible and uplifting narrative. Thanks as always to our network partner Yamaha Headphones. I'll catch you all soon. Rewind with Steve Bell is a Euphony podcast Produced by Craig Trewick and Andrew Mars Recorded by Zig Parker Theme music by Dulla Bar For more Euphony podcasts, visit our website Spotify, Apple, Acast Or wherever you get your podcasts